Once you turn, first of all, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the verse in Genesis chapter 4. I'll just quote it for you while you're looking for Romans chapter 2. Before he killed Abel, Cain had a bad attitude. And we live in a world of bad attitudes. And we live in a world in which bad attitudes precede bad things, bad actions, bad choices. And when people make bad choices, I hope you understand this, that God is compelled to take notice of it. And that nobody's bad choices go unnoticed or unremembered. That nothing is forgotten on the side of God. We're not supposed to make bad choices. He doesn't give us the freedom to do that. He doesn't tell us it's all right because so many others are doing it that I'm not going to hold that against you because he does hold that against you. And he said in Genesis 4 to Cain, in a classic verse, Genesis 4, 7, he said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, this is God who is the judge of all the earth. The final say rests with God. The final determination of all lives rests with God. God is the judge. And he lays before us the right way to live to avoid his judgment. Now, nobody is perfect, but he also provides a way to be forgiven. But he says, if you do well, you, he's talking about himself, God said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. But then he said this, but if you do not well, doing well and not doing well is a choice, isn't it? Can you choose to do well? Can you choose to do wrong? Okay, so it's left up to us. He says, if you do not well, he said, sin lieth at the door, and his, or its, if you want to call it its, its desire is for you. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that in this life that I can find the favor of God if I do well? I'm not perfect and I am prone and apt to do wrong, but I can be assisted by God and helped if I'm willing to make good choices and find favor. We call it grace. Or I can feel real strong about what I'm about to do or have an indifferent attitude about what God said. And just do it what I want to do anyway. That's the choice I make and do wrong. And the Bible says the reason I do wrong is because of sin. So sin is that effort of the devil to turn you away from what's right before God. Anytime you do wrong, it's sin. Isn't that right? Even God said, he that knoweth to do right or do well, and does not do it to that person, it is sin. So I want to talk this morning about God is just in his judgments. Now, his judgment towards you might be favorable. He judges you as you're trying, and your heart is right, and you're giving it your best shot. He may show you favor and grace. Or you may be one who has heard a lot, known a lot, but you also disregard a lot. And you seem to think that, well, I do a lot of good more than I do bad, and perhaps God understands. But sin is sin. We live in an age in which sin is viewed so shallow, so indifferent. Sin is nothing anymore. Lying, cheating, stealing, being vulgar, obscene, nasty, ornery, that no longer is such a bad thing because so many people are doing it, it couldn't be all that bad. It seemed like everybody's doing it. I think one of the great things that you young people especially, as well as us who are older, we live by definitions. If we can't define sin, we'll be sinners. But if we can define sin and know what it is and what it causes and that it is the base and basic reason that we all perish, that we fail, 
that we come up short, that we're not doing well in our homes, we're not doing well with money, we're not doing well with time, we're not doing well with relationships, we're not doing well in so many ways, it is because of sin. Now, who wants to say that today? I'll say it, I just said it. When we're not doing well, it's because sin has corrupted something in our lives, has twisted and warped something, or misled us or misinformed us in some way or gives us a liberty to do something that God said we should not do, but it doesn't seem to be so bad. That's sin. Sin lies at the door. It stalks everybody in this room and leaves none of you alone. Sin is constantly after you because the one thing that sin does, it separates you from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and God that he will not hear. Therefore, your power is limited or broken in your dealing with the devil and wrong and misfortunes and trouble in your life, and you can't cope with it because of the power of sin. And God must judge sin. But he warns us like this morning, what I just said. He warns us about sin. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care how many hours you've spent in church, if you don't want to live it, it's sin. Amen. If you don't want to do right, it's because of the influence, the effect of sin. That's why people don't do well. Doesn't your Bible say that? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If God accepts you, does he not show favor to you? You'll see it if you stay in here long enough. But if you don't do well, you disregard, put aside, assume, you won't do well. And it's not God's fault. Now, Romans 2, have you found it yet? Romans chapter 2, let's begin with verse 1. Let's read through verse 11. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for Wherein thou judgest another, you condemn yourself, or you that judge do the same things. Do we ever do that? Do we ever reach a verdict against somebody else? Maybe somebody you don't know, but somebody you don't like because they don't look good. And we judge them. He said, well, you do the same thing yourself. Verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Let me ask you a question. Does God judge things? A simple thing like judging somebody else, will God judge you for judging them? All right. Verse 4, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? You got the judgment of God. You got the goodness of God. We would all be judged if it weren't for God intervening in our life to turn us around. All of us would be judged. But God intervenes. He brings us a thing called repentance, which is a turnaround so that what was sinful, we repent of it, and we remove ourselves from that judgment. Verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He is going to judge. There is a day of wrath. Who will render to every man what? Let me read it again. Who will render to every man on the basis of what? Now, let me pause at verse 6. Are there any exceptions to this in this room? Will we all have a righteous judgment against us because of what we do? So that nobody really gets by with anything, do they? And the only one who can judge us is God because he knows everything. He knows what you think before you do it. He knows what your motive was before you did it because he knows the attitude in your life. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Only God can know this. Verse 7, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor 
and immortality, eternal life. That's what you get. So there is a judgment which is unto life. Isn't that good? Because there are some of us, there are some in the church, us in the church, who really do want this, verse 7, who really see the benefit, the value, and the necessity of doing right. Verse 8, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, for them it's indignation and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But, like verse 8, glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. Verse 11, for with God there is no respect of persons. I don't care if you're tall, short, old, young, white, green, yellow, gray, black, tan, or blue. I don't care what country you come from, who your parents were, inside of every living man, in spite of what he looks like on the outside, there's a living soul. They're all the same, souls. Souls are given one great opportunity in life that makes us all equal, to live by choices. Some have an earnestness about God because he touches the heart. There is something about God that is so necessary that is so wanted that some people just are driven by that to do right. There are others that just assume that because their idea of God is that he's good and wonderful and he's full of love and, and the joy of the Lord, and because we only see that all of that and that nobody like that could judge anybody. I mean, nobody with all the attributes of God at least the ones we know of, the love. Nobody like that would send anybody to hell. So people think, well, therefore, no matter what I do, a loving God isn't going to send me to hell. And so they disregard from the rest of their life, they disregard spiritual matters and live any way they want to, assuming they're all right. Then there are those, again, as I've already said, who are driven by, boy, something about God that I must get a hold of here. You don't know where that came from. You don't know why necessarily you are so intent about this when so many others aren't. But you just know you need it. That's the work of God. It'll bring you to goodness. It'll lead you beside the still waters and so forth. But all of us alike, we can't see God. We can't see what he's doing. We just know where we are and what's in our hearts right now. We know what we're hearing. We have an evaluator in our hard drive and our minds. We are assessing all the things we're hearing, and we're going to make decisions. And like he said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. And the opposite of God would be sin, because sin is the devil. So God is just in his judgments. He said so in what we've read in Romans 2. You want to do wrong, you'll receive wrath and recompense for your sinfulness. You endeavor to do right, well, he said and again in verse 7, eternal life is what you get. It's up to you. It's a choice that you're going to have to make. See, the Bible teaches us over and over. I've been thinking about this for a while. Over and over, the Bible tells us, and more, far more than I could tell you today, there's so much in the Bible that says things like this, like Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Whatever a man sows, a man's going to reap. Isn't that fair? Would you say it was fair that if you sow bad, that God gives you bad? That if you sow good, God will give you good? He said in giving in 2 Corinthians 6, he said, you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. It's up to you. You live by choices, and God is fair. Or he said in Proverbs 1, therefore they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Is that fair? Your life, choose how you're going to live it. Choose what music you're going to listen to. Choose what you're going to watch and entertain yourself with. It's your choice. 
will tell you God will speak to you about things that are right and wrong. And in your heart, you have a thing called a conscience. And it will declare the lawfulness of your actions and your thoughts and your deeds. It'll warn you about what's going on. You may heed it. You may not. You can sear this conscience by disregarding it, and then no longer will you be bothered by anything. But that's a choice you made. You can talk nasty. You can do a lot of things. We can't see it. God sees it, and he is nothing, folks. Listen to me. There is nothing going on in anybody's life that's not remembered because there is a book of remembrance. Your deeds are written. Everything is in this book. And the book of Revelation says there come a day when the books are opened. Books are opened. And out of what's written there, you'll stand there and you'll hear. If you perish, you'll hear about it. We all guess that will. Nothing will be hidden anymore then. And all that nasty stuff and ornery and vulgar and indifferent and pious acting stuff that you did to impress others, it'll all be revealed. God is always fair, folks. Listen, God is always fair and just in his judgments. God never judges any man wrong. You do wrong, he says, here's a recompense for wrong. Is that fair? What we had to be glad of is you do wrong, he goes, pop, do right. I'm going to do right, and he gives you good. Is that fair? He can do whatever he wants to with his creation. A lot of people don't like that, but that's the way it is. God says in Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, for they have sown the wind, they shall reap the whirlwind. You're living in a time when people are sowing oats, bad oats, ugly, vulgar, obscene oats as much as they can. And they're getting by with it. They're not just falling dead. Loathsome diseases aren't coming upon these people. They're not going broke. They still breathe good. They're healthy. And they're living like the devil. And they assume that because they're not being judged for this life, maybe God is not as tight as we all thought he was. Put your finger wherever you are in your Bible. And look with me just for a moment in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It's right after Proverbs, which is right after Psalms. If you get in the middle of it, just keep going a little bit one way or the other, and you'll find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Listen to this. Because the sentence against an evil work is not carried out speedily, what happens? You're seeing it right now as I'm speaking. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Why do they continue to do evil? Why is that their choice in this life? Because they did evil and nothing happened. I watched porn, I stole money, I lied to somebody, I cheated on my wife, whatever it is that people do today, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. In fact, I got a raise, bought a new car, on and on. Nothing happened. And what happens to men who do wrong, knowing they shouldn't have done it, but they did it anyway, and nothing happened? The Bible says their heart continues to do evil. Has God forgotten? Has God forgotten to be a just judge? We say this all the time. That's not fair. Those people live like dogs. They don't help anybody. They don't give to anybody. They're a bunch of whatever they are. And look how they're doing well. Isn't that what Psalm 73 said? They're fat and sassy. They do wrong. They're evil. They're sinful people. They die well. They've got everything in life they want. It's not fair. That's what they said in the first half chapter. It's not right. Do you think that because, if it's true for any of us, do you think that because you're getting by with doing something wrong that there's not payday someday? Folks, it payday is coming, trust me. And oftentimes, the wages of your sins, at least in this life, 
the deterioration of your life and your hopes and dreams, when it does come, it often comes at a time you really don't want it to. You're getting older, you're getting set, and then they get sick and die. They lose their mind, and there's no quality of life. Could that ever be because of sin? Could it? It's hard to say that because we've all known somebody that we love that didn't go out of this world well. And we don't want ever to think that it wasn't because of sin because they went to church, they did good, they had good hearts, and you loved them. And I don't know all the reasons why things happen to people. You know that, and I know that. They asked Jesus one time, this man was blind. They said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? Who caused this man to be blind? There's something in the Bible about a curse always comes with a cause. The curse causes does not come. There's something behind all this stuff. You don't just have that. And Jesus said, nobody sinned, but that the power of God might be seen. So we think, huh, well, I need to be careful, in, like Romans 2, in judging that everybody that's going down the hill is, or everybody that has a, maybe a physical problem has a physical problem because of sin, because in some cases, God's going to take that problem and manifest to it his glory. But I don't know all these situations. I know what I know. I read what I read. I evaluate myself in light of what I read. I see the importance of a congregation of people understanding that in this life, you cannot live any way you want to and think you're getting by with it because you will be judged. And if you want to live a quality life and have it good here and eternal life, then you need to make all your choices to center around God. That's a choice you have to make. Because the Bible tells us over and over and over, like Job said, even as I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. That's the law of life. You reap what you sow. Jeremiah said, your ways and your doings have made these things come on you, and this is your sin. Truly, it is bitter going deep into your heart. And yet we get so angry if somebody tells us that misfortunes that come upon people are because of sin. Bitter, 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 bitter. And yet I don't know every detail about every misfortune, every problem that's ever happened. I know in my own life when something's not going well, I have to stop what I'm doing and look at myself. What's going on here, Lord? Have I missed it somewhere? Have I made a wrong turn somewhere? Lord, what's going on here in my life? I need to know. Jeremiah said, I search the hearts, doesn't he? He said, I search the hearts. I try the mind to give to every man according to his way, according to the fruit of his doings. If I'm not doing well in my life as I stand here this morning, if I'm not doing well, sin lies at the door. Now, I want to deal with it because I don't want to do bad. I want to do well. I want to be blessed going out, and I want to be blessed when I'm coming in. I want everything I put my hands to to prosper. I really do want God to favor me and my wife and our home. I don't want disease and aggravation and disruption. I want everything to go well. And the world says that's not possible. I want everything to go well. I want it to be well with me in this life. Yeah, but all the enemies and problems, they're there. But, you know, God also said he would prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. They probably wish they could have a bite of what I'm eating. And I'm not eating it cocky. I'm just glad I got it. I've told you so many times in here, it should be well of all the people on this earth that it can be well with. It should be well with us. We shouldn't have to have aggravation after aggravation in our lives, in our church. I'm not after anything this morning. We should not have to continually wrestle and judge with our tongues what's going on because things like that shouldn't go on. It should be well with us. 
But if we choose to know what makes things well, if we choose not to exactly do that, and then things are going to go wrong, we're going to be judged. The judgment could be nothing more than the withdrawing of God's favor for a season. What if every time you came to church you fell asleep? Heard nothing, got nothing out of it, took nothing home with you every time. What good would that be? What if things just didn't work out for you at all? What if things in your past that didn't go well were because of sin? Would you be angry or would you repent? Well, again, I'm not anybody's judge. I'm certainly not that blind man's judge. I'm not judged about things you all might be thinking about, people in your family, your life. I don't know. I only know what I've read. I only know what I've seen in 40 years of ministering to people. And some things are obvious. Some things just fit. There are always those things we can't explain. I don't understand why. Why when you prayed for somebody, they weren't healed? They're supposed to be, aren't they? Aren't they supposed to be? I'll never say that God changed his mind. I still think there's always something wrong. Something wasn't right. We don't want to admit that. We get angry because God wants to open our eyes to see something that happened, and we can do something about it so that it'll never happen again, but yet we just don't want to know. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm a good person. Good people sin. I guarantee you this bunch on the front row has sinned before, and they're all young and fresh. They've all sinned before. I don't want them to sin. Well, nobody can live without sin. Jesus told a woman, go and sin no more, didn't he? Did he lie to her? Did he mislead her? Did he deceive her? He said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. Well, why did he come the first place? Sin. You do that again, something worse than that will come next. Did he say that? So let's don't set that aside and disregard that. Let's let this thing settle in our heart. Maybe the fear of God will come with it. We'll begin to approach God with a more wholesome attitude, maybe. I'm not saying you're not doing it now, but I'm just saying that there's nothing wrong with us having a good attitude before God and a pure heart and clean hands. Nothing wrong with that. I want you to go to Psalm 128. That's where I'm going to have our sermon from this morning, having introduced it. But on the way, there's a nice little restaurant in in Psalms 143. We'll stop off there and get us a quick meal, and then we'll go over to Psalm 128, where the meeting place is. Psalm 143 and verse 7 says, Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. You ever been there? O God, O God, hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down to the pit. What's this all this about his face? His face is his presence. I've read to you many times from Numbers chapter 6 and maybe verse 27 about his face, that his face would shine upon us. That's favor. That's favor. His face is his presence. When we look at people, we look at faces. We know who we are, not by looking at somebody's shoes. That must be Thomas, because they're on the wrong feet. (laughs) No, we look at faces. We look at faces. He said, Lord, let your face shine upon us. God, I'm in trouble. And then he mentions five things here that I need so bad. He said, Lord, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. See, this opens a door to your favor and your good judgments. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Don't we sing this? Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. Don't we need that? Isn't it our enemies that are making our life so difficult? Of course it is. Teach me to do thy will. What can we do if we don't do that? We can do nothing right if we don't do his will. Quicken me, O Lord. Make me alive unto you. I mean, these are things that he follows up with. God, listen, I'm crying out to you. I need you, Lord, 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 Lord. We go through this in life. 
Lord, make your face to shine upon me into my heart, into my heart. Remember that in vacation Bible school? Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today and stay a while. Come into my heart, Lord Is that the way it goes? It is not. It's come into my heart. Come in to stay. Anyway, would you go to Psalms 28 for this morning, our message. And in verse 1, he's crying out. It's like saying, Lord, I don't know what's wrong here. I don't know really what's going on in my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cope with this, this son or daughter, this money, this situation, this job, this neighbor, my brother, sisters. in the ch- I don't know what to do here. But he says, Lord, be not silent to me, lest if you're silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. If I can't relate to you and know your will and know what you want me to do, I'm going to perish. Hear the voice, verse 2, of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thee. Now notice in verse 4, it's the insincere and the misleading that are going to be judged. He defined it in verse 3, he said, draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity which speak peace to their neighbors but mischief is in their heart. Lord, they're so hypocritical. They are so deceiving. They so misrepresent themselves and they're so into the game of taking advantage of other people. People do it all the time and laugh about it. Got him, boy, oh, yeah, I really, oh, yeah, I bought it for nothing. Give them, verse 4, give them according to their deeds. Isn't that what we've been talking about? Give them according to their deeds, what they did, what they do, and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Give them what they deserve. Now, folks, this is what brings curses on people's lives. When a curse comes to rest upon a person, it is not something you can just get rid of by recognizing it. A curse is a consuming thing. It's an occupying thing. When there is a curse on a life, on a home, on a city, on a church... If Ichabod is on a church, if there's a curse on your life, your family, your name, it's because somewhere in the past, a door was opened and judgment came upon that person in the form of a curse. Not a temporary problem in your life, but a continuous problem, a curse. Like father, like son, alcoholic spirits, divorce Spirits, they run in the family. Can't get along with people, runs in the family. There's just traits that seem to follow people and their children and their grandchildren. Things that disrupt and cause trouble. They're curses. Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 28, you don't have to turn to this. I've already turned to it for you. Listen to this. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that you set your hand unto for you to do, until thou be destroyed and thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me. It would seem to me that in one verse of Scripture, lives... Families or groups or nations are cursed because of the wickedness of what they do or because they have simply forsaken God. Maybe turn to idols. I could mention countries in this world that I believe have forsaken God and they live in perpetual and continuous poverty. And all the missionary efforts that will ever take place will never change that because unless you deal with the curse... All you can do is throw money on top of a curse. And you do that out of the goodness of your heart. There's nobody challenging that. 
but a nation that turns from God to worship other things. Look at Africa today. Look at Haiti. Look at some of the Oriental countries. Continuous disruption. Never able to make things work. Always needing. Always in need. Always needing somebody to give them something. All over the world, the devil has mastered countries, mastered people, mastered the leaders of those countries, brought devastation and poverty and woe upon nations and people and family. The alcoholic father brings same things upon his family and upon his children. If he's not drinking or something, maybe it's another kind of flaw or a sin in his life that's trying to be hid, but it devastates his family because his children, not he, anybody else, does well. Poverty is a curse. Did y'all know that? When there's always month left at the end of the check, there's something wrong. Either we're overdoing it, which is inspired by the devil to spend money you don't have, or we got holes in our pockets and we're being robbed daily. Listen, as Christians, it's not supposed to be like that. Of all the people on this earth, we are the one single group in this world that are supposed to be givers and not needers. You shall give, you shall lend and not borrow. Isn't that part of the blessing of Deuteronomy 28? Everything you put your hands to shall prosper, he said. You're blessed when you go out. You're blessed when you come in. Your children are blessed. Your garden is blessed. Everything is blessed. You know why? Because you put God's first. You put his word first to walk in his ways, to observe his commandments, and to walk in all the ways that he's commanded you. You can't do that perfectly, but that's better than not doing it at all. Because if your heart's in this thing, God will fix you along the way. It's when you disregard God, and disregarding God is forsaking God. It's when you turn around and say, well, I don't know about all that, and you live your own life patterned after everybody else. Judgment comes. It doesn't just pop on your life all of a sudden, oh, my heart. My... No, one day you realize you have no control over your children. You and your husband really hate each other. You don't like each other. You live together, sleep in the same house, but there's nothing there anymore. You're always broke. You complain a lot anymore. You whine a lot like a bunch of crybabies. Oh, we're Christians, and we go to church. You think that just works because you go to church? You got to make the right choices. You got to give up some stuff. You got to confess the wrong about some stuff, and you got to turn around to do right about things, and the blessing will come. But people live under curses. They live under curses. It seem like they can't do anything right. Have you ever just stopped to listen to the way I'm not talking about anything? I'm making this up. Have you ever listened to things you all talk about to each other? How much of what you say to each other is negative? Whatever that was. Let me ask you, why do we, the blessed people, why do we talk like that? Is it because we're not blessed and we're so aggravated ourselves? We could be blessed. Could we not? If he brought you through that door and he's turned your heart around, you're a candidate for his favor. You may not get it. Many are called, but you could get it. It's all about choices. You make wrong ones, I promise you, I promise you, God will judge you for it. I don't mean by judgment, he's just going to knock you upside the head. Sometimes it's just, you don't learn anything anymore. You don't have any desire to praise anymore. You used to, oh, I remember that, but you don't do it anymore. You get distracted real easily. Now you start missing church. You put other things before God. Don't even read your Bible. Do you think this gradual decline in your life is just uh, happens to everybody? Or could the devil be behind that? If thou doest well, you'll be what? Accepted. Accepted. If you're not doing well, sin, sin lies where? Whose door? That old bad man's. No, your door. 
And its desire is what? All he needs is for you to open the door. Just do what you know you're not supposed to do. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. That's all the devil has to do is enticements, allurements, lust, food, or entertainment. Just put it in there and make you look for And your heart says, don't do it. But God isn't going to come in and say, don't you? He just says, well, I've told you what to do. Now, if you don't want to do it, and you're going to yield to that, then you and I are not on the same page anymore because sin is going to separate us. As a righteous God, I must reach a verdict against unrighteousness. That's what a just God must do. You all better be glad that God's forgiving and gives repentance as a gift because that's the only thing that keeps you out of the chambers of death. And when you don't want that, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know. I really don't know. Verse 5, are you still in Psalm 28? He continues, because they regard not the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands, he shall what? Is that fair? Come on now. This is America. This is 21st century. Come on. Let me read it again. Because they regard not the works of the Lord. Come on. What? Evolution? Is that bad enough? How about questioning the major work of God in making the world that you live in? Rather than thinking through some gas, chemical, ignoramus, stupidimiest process, the complexity of a human brain was made. Like somebody said, that's like taking some iron ore and lay it right here somebody taking a little copper and maybe a couple of little rocks where there's a diamond in there somewhere and put all that in a pool and a watch comes out of it. (laughs) Tick tock, tick tock. You say, well, that's ignorant. It's supposed to be ignorant. (laughs) It was intended to be ignorant because that's what evolution is. But when you regard not the works of the Lord, God wouldn't do that. You set yourself up for destruction. Well, I'll say it again. In this age, you're not supposed to talk like this. You're setting yourself up for destruction. Well, I don't understand all the details about it. Neither do evolutionists. They don't understand it either. How about a covenant of marriage? Uh Uh-oh. Is marriage a work of the Lord? William, are you listening? This is your last week to be single, buddy. (laughs) And how many people today have no regard for that? And you could go on and on with, I just mentioned a couple of things here. How much of what God holds sacred does man trash? How about the necessity of hearing the word of God? And people who, with regard to the word, say, well, you know, you see it your way and I see it mine. I mean, who's wrong? Well, you are. Well, you're kind of arrogant. I'm not arrogant at all. I'm just trying to be right. If they speak not according to that word, they have no light. Do you hear me? They have no light. And if they talk other than what the Bible says, you're in darkness. Darkness is the catacombs of sin. That's what sin brings you to. You do whatever you want to. Everybody else in that dark place is doing it. Nobody talks about sin. Nobody believes in sin. Like that talk show lady. I won't say heifer. I'll just say that lady on that talk show one time. Somebody said, well, I'm feeling such guilt. If I had an affair on my husband, I'm feeling this guilt. And she said, honey, guilt is a wasted emotion. I remember driving down the road late at night trying to stay awake, and I stayed awake real good after that. Guilt 
is a wasted emotion. Jesus died in Isaiah 53. He bore our guilt. We all knew we were guilty. Guilt means I deserve punishment. I know I do. You don't even have to preach that sermon. My heart condemns me because of guilt. Some low-grade woman like that's going to tell me that guilt is nothing more than a, an emotion? What about all the rest of people that think like she thinks or that think she knows something? Like all them Hollywood people, they all think they know something because they played a role of a professor once in a movie. <laughs> or one of them was a brain surgeon or a pilot or something, and so they know much. Now they're experts. People are influenced like that. Their minds get warped by people they think know something, people they admire. It's a shame, folks. It's a tragic shame. But again, back to verse 5. He said, he will destroy them, and he will not build them up. He will let them down. In other words, he just lets go of you. Is it possible for God to do that? Does the Bible say anywhere that God can give somebody up to their sins. He does say that. He says that about homosexuality. Certainly there's a call that goes out to turn away from that. God didn't make you like that. God didn't make homosexuals to be homosexual. Otherwise, that's accused God of making fornicators. Because that's what you do when you're homosexual. Obviously, you're not married. Adam and Steve don't marry. At least not in Kentucky. And yet they carry on and do all that. That's fornication. The end of that thing is death. God didn't make you do that. Well, God made us like this so we can do it. No, no he did not. He did not. Oh, Jesus. So he would judge them. What's going on today? Put your finger in Psalms 28, and let me take a little side trip here. But just allow me for just a moment. Proverbs chapter 29, 18. I preached this sermon yesterday in my office. It was really good. It was real good. We should have taped it and brought it out here. No, I have what I thought was good, you all would have gone to sleep on. I thought it came out because I was practicing preaching to you all. I keep concerning myself. Someday somebody's going to knock on that door while I'm hollering. Nobody does because I've been locking it. <laughs> Twenty-nine, eighteen. Your Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. We're familiar with that. The word vision here has to do with a living revelation, not something you heard once, a stale word that was spoken and forgotten. We're talking about something that is living and thriving, a quickening word, a word that lives in you, that operates in you, that controls your actions and your deeds, that has influence in you. He says, where people don't have from God this kind of a revelation. Here's what the, as I understand from commentaries, what the Hebrew says, where you don't have this, the people are unrestrained. If you don't have a word from God in there abiding and living in you, what restrains your passions and your urges? What tells you not to do things? Not much of anything. People are doing things today. There's never been an age in which music was more so not music than today. What I hear on the boomity boom booms, and the yakety-yak is noise. It is just gathered noise. Yelling, screaming, vulgar, obscene, nasty noise. Why girls or women would listen to any of that trash today, I don't know, because you're getting put down in a major way. You're a piece of meat. You're just something for pleasure. That's all you are. Nothing about love, nothing about care. It's just a moment. That's all you're about. And these poor little dumb girls go out and buy that stuff and put that trash in their ears. They start thinking like that, and they don't care. 
Guess who's behind that? Where there's nothing of God in your life that tells you don't or do. When there's nothing of God in there in your life doing this stuff, you're going to lose control of your passions. The people are unrestrained and God has to judge. We're talking about right now as I'm talking an entire generation. When has there ever been a time, take it any way you want to, when men have decorated their ears with jewelry and painted the world all over their body? They got dragons and whatever they put on them today. They all look nasty. Now, when you're about 80 years old and that stuff is all sagging, look like a forest. <laughs> look like a bunch of weeds hanging off your arms. Why are people doing that? Have they never read in Leviticus that you're not to make markings on your body? Or did anybody ever tell them that for fear they might not come back to church? Where there is no vision, the people perish. But you know how that verse ends? How does it end? It's a contrast. But a man who obeys the Lord, he's happy. He ain't missing out on anything. He ain't running around with nasty girls, doing wrong things that God is going to judge. Every act, every deed, every moment has been written down and not forgotten. Every single moment. Every phone conversation in your bed under the cover at 3 a.m. in the morning, every single conversation is recorded. God has listened to what you say. Every text message is recorded. Everything, every accusation, it's all recorded. God has books, and it's being recorded. All of it. We're getting by with nothing, and it's going to be the cause of our judgment. Oh, Jesus, help us. We're there. We are there as I speak. This is going on as I speak. It's happening. Back to Psalms 28. Verse 6, we're finally going to get away from judgment against sin, and now we're going to find favor because of righteousness. Listen to this, verse 6, hallelujah, blessed Whew, a good word. Blessed be the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my supplications. He started out in number one, oh, God, hear me. If you don't, I'll go to the pit. Blessed be God. He has heard the voice of my supplications. Isn't that good? Why did he hear you? How about all them rock singers and whoever else out there is filling up their cup of judgment? Why does he not hear them? They don't cry out to God. They don't need God. All this world, I would suspect, for fear of judgment, Romans 2, I would suspect that all those rich and famous athletes, I doubt if all of them together give much more than 1% of what they ever make to God. That's Malachi. That, too, is a curse. It doesn't look like it, does it? Oh, they're making it. It doesn't look like it, except when they get to be 35 years old, kind of at the peak, they get AIDS. Have you heard the latest so-and-so great? 42 years old, fell dead of a heart attack. 42, all that money saved up. I'm building my barns bigger. I've got it all. Here's another, his wife left him, and, and he's here in the paper, 48 years old, and he killed himself. Let me ask you something. What good was all your sin? Because the devil was having a field day with people like that. He just laughed at a sucker. And then we look at ourselves, we, we're, we're going through some things, but God's using what we're going through to keep our mind on him and he keeps us on the right track. We repent because we can't get by with anything. He deals with it called chastisement. He deals with us and keeps us, <laughs> keeps our minds upon him. We look at all these other people. They ain't fair. Yeah, shut up. It is fair. All them people are going to die. All them people are going to regret they were ever born. They're going to wish they had never seen life. Like Job said, cursed be the day my mother brought me in this world. 
But you, you're going to live forever. A city. I don't understand all this, but you know, when heaven and hell has passed away, there's nothing. Existence is back to darkness. The only light there's going to be is a city. Comes down out of heaven. And God is the light of it. And we're going to be in that city. It's a big place. It's really, really big. And outside, the Bible speaks of outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness. But Jesus told a man, he got it all in this world. He said, the day is coming. You will see Lazarus now enjoying for an eternity everything that you don't get. You wanted yours now. He gets his later. Because the judgments of God are fair. The judgments of God are just. In verse 6, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song will I praise him. This is what the righteous do. This is what we're supposed to do. God is my strength. That's why we're not falling apart. He's our shield. That's what the devil can't get through. With our heart, we trust him because we can't with anything else. And uh, what can I do but say praise be to God? I'm going to close as the psalmist closes here. In verse 8 and 9, the Lord is their strength. Is he yours? Ah, is he yours? Are you strong? Are you wavering this morning? The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving strength of his people, of his anointed. Therefore, let's close with these four things. Therefore, O Lord, do this. Dear God, to Shelbyville Christian Assembly this morning, maybe to those that are watching, do this. Number one, save your people. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do anything or enough of anything to save ourselves. The very best thing that we can do in the process of salvation is to obey the Lord. Obey my voice and I'll be your God. Is that what he said? See, the word save in the Old Testament, like in the New Testament, is an all-encompassing word. Save doesn't just mean let you make it through life and go to heaven. That's the way we usually talk about being saved. But saved has to do with being healed, being delivered, being protected from your enemies, being kept, being held fast. These are all the things that God does in the saving process. This is part of what salvation is. The salvation of God is not limited to just making sure you make it into heaven. He said, work out your salvation while you're on this earth. It involves you being well, having your needs supplied, being delivered. You want to be delivered? Everything, it has to do with all of this. I wrote this down. The word save means to help, to deliver, to defend. The underlying idea of this is the bringing to a place of safety or broad pasture as opposed to a narrow strait, symbolic of distress and change. The word may convey the notion of deliverance from tribulation, deliverance from certain death, rescue from one's enemies, victory in a time of war, and avenging of wrong. Only God can do this, and he does it. That's why we can walk in peace and expect a blessing to come upon us. Oh, we can. The second thing he said in verse 9, Lord, bless thine inheritance. Bless your inheritance. Who is his inheritance? What is God's inheritance? Listen to me. You've heard this before. In Ephesians 1, my favorite chapter, in Ephesians 1, he says, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Did God not save us? Did he not deposit or put within us his life? Is not his life the life of men? Isn't that the only thing that separates us from the world is the presence of Christ in us? Christ in you, the hope of glory? Christ isn't in everybody. Christ isn't in everybody that's ever heard about Jesus. 
Not everybody that's heard about him has been willing to follow him and serve him, but some have. God put it in your heart to do that. He put that in your heart to want him, and because you say, I want you, he comes in. How else could he come in? You can't do anything. You're not good enough. He makes you want him. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness. And didn't we read that a while ago? Psalm 143, cause me to know the way wherein I shall. Cause it? It has to be caused. And it works for you because you respond. We call that grace. Grace. And blessing of God's people is what God does. Jesus said about his inheritance in the Gospel of John in chapter 17, verses 6, 8, 12, and 22 of John 17. He talks about us being the people that thou hast given me. The people thou hast given me. Do you realize this morning that God drug you up out of the miry clay and brought you to Jesus and said, here, I want to give this one to you. He says, where's Hamilton at? All right. Here comes Tom. And he brought him over here and said, I'm giving this one to you, Jesus. Everybody that God gave to Jesus, he said, I'll keep them. No man will snatch them out of my hands. And with these people whom I will call my inheritance, I am going to teach them. I'm going to instruct them. I'm going to lead them. And I'm going to counsel them with my eye on them. Psalm 32 and verse 8. Why would he do that? Because he wants to. If he doesn't do that, you can't make it either. Why does he do that to you? Why has God saved any of us? Why? It has to be because he loves us. There's no other reason. Oh, praise God. Fourthly, in verse 9, feed them also. Feed them. Peter, do you love me? I like you. I've already proven I don't love you. I don't love in the sense I'm willing to lay down my life for you. I wouldn't do that when I had a chance. But, dear God, you know that there's nobody I'd rather be with, nobody I want to serve more than you. In that way, I, I love you. You know what he said to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The word feed there is poimeno. It means to shepherd. The word here is episcopoio, which means to shepherd, to oversee. Feed my people. Don't entertain them. Don't make them feel good about their sins. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and, and what? And I will walk in thy truth. If you don't teach them the truth, what do they walk in? Somebody else's words. Feed my people. Feed them. Just feed them. Peter wrote, he said, feed the flock of God over the which... The Lord has made you overseers. Ministry in this hour is not called to build an empire. We are not called to have an exaggerated place with exaggerated numbers doing nominal things. We're called to gather somewhere, God will provide, where we can all come together and learn of Jesus. He can meet us in the concrete cathedral. That's where you are now. He can meet us here. He can meet us next door. He can meet us in the biggest edifice in this country. But his work, the work of God, is to feed you the word so that you can believe. It's John 6, 29. Amen. Paul told the elders at Ephesus in Acts 22, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Now you feed the church of God. Feed them. These people will wander around. They'll wander off into some dark place and be judged forever if you don't feed them. And I mean feed them, stay on their face, get after them, love them and smack them and do everything you have to do. Rebuke. Didn't he say this? Rebuke, exhort with all 
long-suffering, and patience. Every time they come back, fuss at them again. You're going to drive them off. I haven't yet. You haven't left yet, have you? Finally. Last one in verse 4. Lift them up forever. That is, hold us up, O God. Hold us in your hand. Hold us above the fray. Secure us and keep us. One translation says, save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and bear them up forever. Do you want that? I do too. So let's end where we started. God is just. You do wrong, you receive judgment. And that's fair. You do right, and you'll receive grace. And that's fair. It is God who brings grace, and it is God who judges justly. As for me and my house, I want to stay on the good side of God and be blessed all the days of my life. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again this morning for your truth and for your goodness, for loving us, securing us, and keeping us, bringing us together for this brief moment this morning to give us something to think about, something that we can know that you will favor if we will heed it. Give us a heart like that. Touch the hearts of all these young folks so that they also can go and proclaim this to others. And that when Jesus comes, we will all together make that journey up Zion's hill into the presence of our King. To him we bless, to him we give thanks for his grace and mercy in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.